2: This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
3: Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network. Did it work. That was neat work, Jack. Neat work. That was at. I don't know. Uh, Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn! How y'all doing? Got uh, Nastassia the Hammer Lopez with me. Got Jack in the engineering booth. Oh, apparently... you remembered you, Jack? Oh, Jesus! <laughs> like, last week, like so much was going on that apparently I forgot to mention that Jack was <laughs> at his usual post in the, in the engineering booth. And then apparently, what Nastassia's actually doing during the radio show, as opposed to paying attention to what's going on, is texting Jack.
2: No, Jack and I were texting back and forth.
3: I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you can literally just say that on air. You don't need to say. It. First of all, obviously, since I was talking to Jack throughout the show, just an oversight and not, you know, some sort of like mm-hmm. some sort of like Jack no longer counts. Jack Jack no longer counts. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyways, call in your questions <laughs> to 718 497 That's 718-497-2128. Hey, listen, you know what? So I'm going to do this like weather forecast style because I don't know anything for sure. But next week, I think we have like a 50% chance of McGee.
2: Whoa, really? Yeah,
3: yeah 50% chance of McGee. Like may go up or may go down. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, like the weather. Like if a butterfly flaps its wings somewhere in Indonesia, we might not get McGee next week. But, you know, you never know.
2: Why 50? I thought he was coming.
3: He's going to be in town, and he suggested, hey, maybe I can, like, you know, hang out before and after the radio show. And so he didn't say he would stay during it, but, you know, assuming he doesn't hightail it out, Mm -hmm. he could, uh, you know, hang out. And then we could get some McGee-style questions on the air. By the way, uh, one quick thing before I get into it, even though I'm uh, horrendously late. Was that a call I heard, Jack? Do we have a call? Nope. Okay. So uh, I have this thing that really makes me upset. The people who do it aren't bad people. They're not... Like, purposely enemies of quality, which, by the way, Stas and I are still working on the shirt. We just have other problems we've been dealing with first. Um, I hate... Tell me if I've spoken about this in the air before, but I hate seeing people in medical scrubs on the street. I hate it. Yeah. Have I talked about this, Jack, that you remember?
2: No, not that I remember. I hate it. Why?
3: Uh, Okay. So, scrubs, right... Are the universal symbol that i 'm about to do something to your body that requires me to be mm. clean so i don 't want it to be like you know they 're designed for like in a surgical situation right you scrub up you you know you, you completely try and scrub this is me scrubbing you scrub your hands wash everything right, and you have these clothes on that are not your street clothes right you put on these booties over your feet presumably so that you 're not like you know w- tramping around in you know your sneaks that you 've been uh, Tracing through like puddles of filth on the street with, and now I am about to do something to you that, like, you know, requires me to not be disgusting. That's what scrubs mean, right? So, the opposite of the scrub for a medical professional is the lab coat, right? Or the AKA the doctor's coat. That is designed to protect my street clothes against the nasty stuff that might splash on me, right? See what I'm saying? See the difference? So when I see – and, and it's compounded by the fact that there's all these people now who have these jobs where they want them to look medically. I'm making those quotey quotes with my hands, those air quotes. They want them to look medically so they make them wear scrubs even though they shouldn't be wearing scrubs as part of their uniforms like Dwayne Reed does this sometimes, right? And I just think it's filthy you know, seeing that in you know And, and this, the reason I'm bringing it up on the show is because it also reminds me how much do you hate when you see people walking outside in their whites? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They're walking outside and their chef whites. What about the people who have to go outside because they're taking a smoke break? They don't even take their apron off and they're leaning with their like filthy apron and their chef whites against some nasty like uh, – uh, what are those things called? Scaffolds that I've seen dogs piss on and people spit on constantly and then they're smoking and that's – you know, they're spitting and smoking. This is like – you know, it's not – you don't want to see that, right?
2: Welcome to New York.
3: Yeah, but my point is is that like every employer should know to tell their uh, folks – not to let a customer see them in their whites yeah. unless they're cooking. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Because when you're cooking, you're usually pretty on point about not looking like you're like doing something disgusting. Like, but when you're outside, like, you know, who knows whether you know you're going to touch your face with your hands, which is revolting. There's all sorts of things that you know. In terms of cooking, you know what I'm saying? Anyways, people need to get their, their uh, you know their their street clothes separate from their. Is it that people don't provide places to change? Maybe. Or I don't want to carry it. I don't want to carry. Is that what it is? Maybe. I don't know. Nasty. Am I right? You yeah. agree? Yeah. For one, Stas agrees with me. Unusual. Uh, all right. We got a lot of questions to get to, so I'm just going to start, start ripping and tearing. Did, what about that thing Cliff showed us last week? It's disgusting. disgusting. I had no idea what that meant. It's disgusting. Just Google ripping and tearing. Disgusting. Disgusting. Okay. Jack, have you seen this?
2: Uh, no, I'm about to, though. Yeah, there you go.
3: All right. Ken Colgan wrote in on martinis. Hello, Dave and Anastasia. I've only just discovered the show, and I'm going through the podcasts uh, in order. I'm up to number 21. Oh, my God. So many more for him to listen to. Oh, geez. So I apologize if somebody's already asked this question. In the British newspaper The Guardian in March of this year, former 007 uh, Roger Moore explains how he makes a dry martini. By the way, where does Moore fit in, in your pantheon of, uh, of bonds? Anyone? Stas? No, none. You don't no, you don't no, care no, about I Bond?
1: Care,
3: no. Oh Jesus. you're such a poor quality human. Like, why do you not care about James Bond? You didn't like the movies growing up?
1: No, I never watched them.
3: You never seen a single James
2: Bond?
1: I have, movie? but I just I didn't care for them.
2: You didn't you, care you for already, any of them, Jack? I've never seen a single James Bond. Movie. <laughs> what
1: the hell is wrong with you
3: people? Yeah. Whoops. Never seen Goldfinger? That would mean you've seen one. You don't know the characters. You don't know Jaws. Roger Roger Moore, like one of the character bad guys from his era, is uh, is Jaws who's a, that giant dude who you might remember as the giant dude from uh, Happy Gilmore. You've seen that movie, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You guys are such you – you're just saying mm-hmm, – get me off this t- I can't believe you don't know the different Roger Moores. And I can understand they are kind of absurd, sexist, weird movies with no plot. But, like, you know, as a kid, seeing all this stuff blow up – Anyway, Roger Moore – did you see Cannonball Run?
1: Uh, yeah, a long time ago.
3: He played a character like him in the Cannonball Run stuff in in like an old whatever anyway. So, uh, wow, I can't believe I'm dealing with two people that I can't pitch anything off of. With uh, It's the
2: kind of thing I would normally be like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But I had to come clean and be honest. Yep. You know? All right. Well, you're familiar. Call, too. To Should it? we take the call?
3: Yeah, all right. But you're familiar with the fact that, that James Bond asks absurdly for a shaken martini, right? Yes,
2: this, this I know.
3: All right, so we can get back to Ken's question after this call. Yes, it's it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Caller, you're on the air.
1: Hey, Dave, Nastasia, and Jackie Molecules. This is Antoine from Boca Raton.
3: Hey, what's up?
1: How are you guys doing? All right. All right, cool. I had two questions. One was a simpler one. I was wondering if you've ever made a simple syrup with lactose, and if it's possible at all.
3: No, here's why. Uh, you can add some lactose to it, but it's not – it's like very uh, low solubility, so you can't get it up to the levels of sweetness that would be required from a simple syrup. You can dope some lactose in. But remember, like even in ice cream, if you use too much dry milk powder, as it freezes down, you'll get lactose crystallization. You get those nasty crystals.
1: Okay, cool. And the other one I asked is if there's a more expedited way to make tonkotsu for ramen.
3: Oh yeah, I don't know what's the technique you use now. I've never had, I've never actually, i sadly never made it my, myself. You, uh, you what, what do you
1: do? Uh, I was thinking of doing like a half pressure cooker sort of technique, perhaps, and then speeding it up some other way. But I haven't seen anything else on it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, like first, first, like pressuring it, then drying it, then frying it. Yeah. I'm sure that will work. I mean the, I think the trick with the pressure cooking with it is you're going to want to use a super hyper-concentrated stock, right? Mm-hmm. And then after you release it, you're going to want to pull it out and then you're going to want to let it uh, uh, flash off hot to get rid of some of the moisture on the outside but not so hot that you flash the moisture out of the inside, right? But you're going to need to get pick up your pickup on the outside of the of the thing. What, what, so what's your typical – what's a typical dip on this? Panko, right? Panko with what? Like an a What's the what's the dip on it? Is it flour, then some sort of egg dip, then panko?
1: Pretty much. I mean, just that. Uh, sometimes I'll mess around with some milks, add uh, in there as well. Either a heavy cream or. Like, yeah, I'll mess around with different ones each time, but pretty much around that.
3: You might want to get some batter bind or some crisp coat in your initial flour dip to uh, increase adhesion and stop uh, oil penetration down. But uh, there's no reason that won't work. Just use a very concentrated stock and reuse it a bunch of times to do your pressure cooking, and I think you're not going to degrade the flavor of it at all, and it'll be super quickity quick. Or you could just use, you know, one of the many cuts that's going to be like tender as is, and then you can basically just fry from raw. You know. Depends yeah. depends on what cut you're gonna use, obviously.
1: Cool. I don't know. I mean you're always the man with the answer, so I didn't know if if you had ever made it before, but it sounds good. Yeah. I'll try that out.
3: Alright, let us know how it works.
1: Alright, thank you very much. Alright. Cool.
3: Right. Uh back to this martini. So in the British newspaper The Guardian, in March I always forget when you go on a British airplane, they offer you two newspapers. I can't remember what they are, right? But you always what you always need to ask is you say which one is the racist one? Because they offer you two, and one's like some horrible racist really? rag. And yeah, yeah. And I can never remember which one's which. So I don't know if the Guardian's the racist one or the not racist one. I don't know. Someone will tell me. But literally, like, one time, the last time I was flying over there, the stewardess was like, <laughs> and the guy next to me was like, oh, that's the racist one. Get the other one. I was like, oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They all know. And the people who get it know. They're like, yes, I would prefer the racist one. Um, okay. Uh, in the British newspaper, The Guardian, uh, former 007 um, Roger Moore explains how he makes uh, a dry martini. You, you have to be a, a, a Sean Connery kind of a person, no? You don't? You like Sean Connery? No, no.
1: Did really. you like
3: Indiana Jones and in the, in mm-hmm. the Last Crusade? Mm-hmm. Was that your favorite Indiana Jones? I think so. Then you like Sean Connery. Okay. <laughs> um, put uh, an egg cup measure of Neuprat Pratt dry vermouth into a V-shaped martini glass. First mistake. Uh, and swirl it around to flavor the glass. What's uh, an egg thing? An egg cup? It's a, I had to look it up. An egg cup stores an it's egg. Stupid it, it, British the British The British eat a lot of soft-boiled eggs. <sighs> and then they break the tops off, and you have to hold it in an egg cup. Stas is making an egg cup face, which is, like, imagine the vegan face, but with, like, just, like, a huge heaping side dose of derision. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, scorn for whole cultures. Yes, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anywho, an egg cup is about 40 mils, which is, uh, you know, like an ounce and a quarter or something around there. Right? So you got that in your mind. First of all, it's a huge waste of uh, – of, well, anyway. Put an egg cup measure of Neuprot uh, dry vermouth into a, a V-shaped martini glass and swirl it around to flavor the glass. V-shaped martini glasses are kind of self-limiting drunk machines because like the drunker you are, the more you spill it before it gets to your face and like slosh it around. So in a standing cocktail party, it's almost impossible to get too hosed on a V-shaped martini glass before it starts spilling everywhere and people send you home. That's the only good thing I have to say about that glass style. Um, okay, and swirl it around to flavor the glass. Then tip the vermouth into the cocktail shaker, swirl it around, and then throw away what's left. You just spent, like, you know, an ounce and a quarter or so of vermouth. Like, t- it doesn't take that much to swirl around a glass, but what have, would have, would have. Then put a couple of ice cubes into a shaker, add your measure of gin, and so on and so on, and presumably shake and not stirred. So, uh, first of all, my, you know what my theory on shake and not stirred for James Bond is? Yeah. That. He, uh, Because he's a super spy, like he doesn't want to get too wasted, right? Because he might have to shoot someone at any time. And so he like has his uh, martinis horribly watered down. And he doesn't actually – he's probably like a little bit of a a nance and doesn't want like too much like, uh, you know, flavor. So he's like trying to get rid of as much flavor as he can. So he's British, so he has to use gin. He can't go, uh, you know – like he asked, well, you know, I got James Bond, though, he does he use vodka or gin, I always forget. Anyways, but, you know, Roger Moore, actual British, has to go, you know, gin because it's a British thing and just shake it until there's like no alcohol or flavor left. And then you could pound a bunch of them and still shoot uh, Hervé Villachez in the head, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, intercept odd job when he's throwing a super sharp hat at you. Anyways, that's my theory. Uh, obviously, it's going to be horribly over diluted if you cook it that way, but it will be cold. Uh, as, another, as another thing Anyway Someone in the comments section said You may as well just drink a glass of neat gin Not true not true. You may as well uh, j- uh, drink a glass of neat gin with a boat ton of water in it, right, because you, you made it real co- uh, watery when you did that. And I have to say that it looks pretty sensible comment to me, hence the question. Does the tiny amount of vermouth that would cling to the sides of the cocktail glass and the shaker actually alter the flavor of the drink if you then add something as strong as gin? Remember, his gin ain't strong anymore because it's been watered to hell because he's shaking that sucker and not stirring it. Wouldn't gin shaking with ice be much quicker to make? And unless one has an incredibly refined palate, tastes pretty much exactly the same. Yours, Ken Colgan. No, you'd taste it. I mean, remember, it's just, uh, you know, water and gin. And so you would taste it. I mean, like... Look, uh, the other famous classical rinse drinks, I don't believe in rinsing for martinis because I think you should just add vermouth. I think the reason people want such a small amount of vermouth is that they're using like really old oxidized vermouth and uh, you know, if you were to open a fresh bottle, um, you know, I don't use Noy Pratt in mine, but like if you were to open a fresh bottle of like a high quality vermouth or whatever you like the flavor of, uh, it, it would be good in a larger amount than that. But the answer is yes, uh, rinsing does make a difference, most notably the most notable rinse drink that um, human beings make uh, who aren't super spies is uh, the Sazerac, which has a rinse of, well, absinthe or absinthe on the inside of the glass. And it, it's quite noticeable if you don't, uh, if you, you know, it's quite noticeable. And so, especially on the on the aromatic side. So it does make a, a difference. I don't know about rinsing the, the tin with it. That just seems kind of, that just seems kind of dumb. It's the equivalent of adding probably like, uh, you know, I don't know, five drops, six drops. something. will make a difference though, you know. I wouldn't make a difference if you were to do something that's incredibly strong flavored. But, you know, gin that's had the crap shaken out of it is not going not gonna to be a problem. Uh, Jeremy Gabbard writes in, I've officially caught up. Gang. What do you think about that as a thing? Gang. Gang. Gets, us all, gets all of us. Mm-hmm. You know I like I mean? that. Yeah. I like
2: that the last guy called me Jackie Molecules. It's
3: pretty strong, right? Well, you know him from Boca Raton. I he know. He calls in all the time. Yeah.
2: I'm, yeah. Just, I'm just liking the, the name switch here.
3: Now, well, maybe as we're coming out of commercial, you can play the, uh, you can play the Jackie Molecules tone.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jackie Molecules.
3: Uh, I'm officially caught up on the back catalog of episodes after discovering your podcast a couple of months ago. Man, can you imagine that? No. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I'd like to dip my toe into low-temperature cooking, but I haven't heard too much about uh, circulators. Looking at the Anova Precision Cooker. Is that what they really call it? Anova Precision Cooker.
2: Oh, Anova.
3: Yeah, but it, like mm-hmm. Precision Cooker instead of Circulator? Mm-hmm. Why would you come up with a new name?
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it does Separate circulate. Yourself. I don't know.
3: Precision cooker. Um, the Sancerre and the Nomiku. Nomiku, famously made by Weepop, Bam Soupy Pot. It's actually his actual last name is Soupoppy Pot. He, I love Bam. Bam's a good man. Uh, for home use, and as long as I take into account my water volume slash heating capacity, am I going to miss out anything that the pricier models offer? Which the pricier models, like you know, I guess we're talking like the $800 uh, – the $800 um, – dots um, help me out here eight hundred dollar uh, polyscience right. yeah that p press makes or the 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 slightly heavier duty one the old lab style one i still love my old metal style uh polyscience guy with the metal bottoms because i'm a very I'm abusive and i sent so we did the we shot the uh thanksgiving turkey again the one that you know we did you know, have done a million times with the with the uh the, the bionic turkey with the bone structure and for that one the metal guy really helps because it's easier to clean the oil out of the metal one and pipe the oil around inside of the bird etc etc anyway um Am I going to miss out anything that the Pricer models offer? I've read uh, Kenji uh, Lopez-Alt's Head to Head, uh, uh, which is a couple like a year and a half old now, on Serious Eats about the um, different circulators. But I'm curious if there's any of the three that you particularly love or hate. Thanks in advance, Jeremy Gabbard. Okay. First of all, I went and read the Serious Eats uh, Head to Head, and there's a couple of things that – I mean, look, any head-to-head that someone writes when someone is sent three circulators or three anythings, dishwashers, computers, whatever, you have to take with a little bit of a grain of salt the evaluations that someone does right off the bat because they don't take into account kind of what's happening uh, year in, year out, and also what happens with a number of different… Uh, users uh, use it. So, you know, you can all go read it, but I'll just comment on, on some of the things at the and, and by the way, I don't have a boat ton of it. I own a, a Sansair, and I own uh, owned Nomiku Peter Kim stole it from me, uh, but uh, whatever. I owned one of the first generation, but I've not had any experience with the second generation Nomikus, which are uh, uh, a little bit different. Um, but I'll try to I'll try to go through. I mean, and they all work. They all heat water up, and they're and they're pretty accurate. But um, what uh, what Kenji said, uh, one of the things he said it, to worry about is um, evaporation during cooking, and therefore, like how how big a difference there is between the minimum and maximum water levels in, uh, in a circulator. So for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, like uh, circulators have a heating element and a pump, and if, if either of those things goes dry, then uh, then you're in, in deep, deep trouble. So they all have sensors in them to stop that from happening, but also all units have a minimum water level on the, on the pump and, the, and, and, a, and a maximum. The maximum is to protect the electronics and the minimum is to, is to prevent uh, overheating or lack of circulation. Now the the, the thing that, that people don't list is how effective something is at circulating uh, below its minimum depth. So for instance, if you were to put a uh, an immersion circulator into the ocean, it's not going to circulate the stuff at the bottom because the pump really only circulates the stuff at the top. So a factor that nobody takes into account is how well it circulates a bath. Let's say your bath was a stockpot uh, and your circulator is only hanging out in the top six inches or seven inches of the stockpot, but the stockpot's got another foot below it. Well, how's it doing there. And especially a problem when you talk about that kind of circulation is the fact that that hot uh, stuff rises. And so the stuff that you're circulating and keeping hot tends to tend to rise and the and the lower temperature stuff tends to settle to the bottom. So how effective something is at agitating a tall pot is going to be a problem, especially if you do a lot of your cooking in things like stock pots. But anyways, uh, having a wide range uh, of, of uh, minimum to maximum depth is important if long cooking foods are on the agenda. Now, 150 150 degree, this is Kenji writing. 150 degrees uh, uh, water in a metal pot with a 10-inch diameter and two gallons of water will drop in height by about an inch every eight hours due to evaporation in my apartment. Uh, and then he says, covering the top with foil or plastic wrap. Don't use foil. Use plastic wrap. Covering the top with plastic, uh, plastic wrap can cut this down, but the possibility that the water uh, level will drop below the minimum line during extended cook is a very real one. Not – listen, you should never – run a circulator for any length of time that's not covered. I'm going to go back and say this again. You should never run a circulator uh, without uh, covering it uh, for any length of time. It's just really, really bad practice. OK, so I mean like – and this is one of the first things I teach people. So for me, you know, like how much the water level is going to drop is not that much of an issue because I know that I'm always going to be running with, uh, with plastic on the top. The exception being if you're running it during service. If you're running it during service and you're going to be going in and out then and you're just doing a retherm bath – then maybe you don't need to, but uh, whatever. Uh, the other thing is uh, that I thought was kind of a little bit misleading on the on the review. There is uh, the, talking about the clips uh, on on the back of it. Uh, Kenji liked the screw clamp. You know, remember the old screw clamps that you used to use on the Poly Sciences? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate them right? I like, and that's why the, the newer polysciences have this quick release uh, guys that pop out, because the, uh, uh, you know, Kenji's worried that you're gonna, that the clip's gonna fail, and you're gonna drop the circulator into the water. The only time in, you know, the well over a decade that I've been using circulators on a consistent basis that I've ever dropped one in water was because I was so angry trying to yank the sucker off because I had to unscrew the thing in back, and it kept on catching on the lid of the, uh, on the back side of the rim of the cambro. I was like yanking on it because I was so angry. You know how I against us i was yanking on it and i I pulled it up yanked it so hard that it tipped and fell into the water bath and that's the only time i've ever dropped it and it was because it was firmly clamped i regularly rip the clamps out of the uh the screw things out of the back and just place it over the edge so i'm not really worried uh uh, about uh, about that and the other thing that's not taken into account in the review that's very important is you have to ask yourself what um What are you going to put the thing into, right? So uh, one thing that – like if you look at, for instance, the old metal-style polyscience versus the newer uh, plastic-style polyscience – uh, the newer plastic-style one is narrower, and the Nomiku is very, very narrow. And what that means is it takes up less space in your circulating bath. So you have to ask yourself kind of what you're going to be circulating in and whether you're going to be pushing the limits of the bath because the amount of space that the circulator takes up in the bath is a very real limitation uh, for a lot of people who are cooking in smaller like, uh, smaller vessels on uh, their counter. Yeah, mm-hmm. But they all work. Uh, I found uh, the serre doesn't like to run mm-hmm. pure oil. I uh, found that uh, when we were doing a Harvard lecture. Um, but, you know, that's about it. Uh, you know, but, again, if you have the money and durability is the ultimate thing, then the old-school metal poly science guys, I think, are still pretty tough to beat. You know what I
2: mean? Yep. Yeah. Got a caller.
3: Yep. Caller, you are on the air.
4: Hey, Dave. i uh, got a quick question. It's homebrew-based, but it probably applies to a lot of cooking. It has to do with gelatin, using it as a clarifier. Sure. I've been arguing for years with my fellow homebrewers, and they insist that if you you know, you dissolve it in some hot water before you add it, and they say if you bring it to a boil, it's useless. It deactivates the gelatin. Um, but I've always brought to a boil just to sanitize it. I've never had a problem, and I figured you would be the one to say whether this is hogwash or not. What do you think?
3: Why would bringing it to a boil hurt it? That's how they make gelatin. Like, what's the argument about not boiling it?
4: The the home brewers, I guess, in the old literature, and they still cling to it, says that if you bring the the water to a boil that's got the gelatin in, it somehow deactivates the gelatin and won't work anymore. That's crazy, right?
3: I mean, it seems crazy. Is it some special gelatin? Is it some super hyper fancy gelatin? No, just regular Knox gelatin. Yeah. Hogwash, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hogwash, yeah. I mean, right. I don't know. Look, 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 maybe there's – I could see that there's some sort of like – gelatin solution that you could buy that's not set that is like you know the where the gelatin is it's some particular way but then you wouldn't want to heat it at all because you'd mess with the configuration the, like the solubility of gelatin uh it solubilizes at a pretty low temperature right but then you know bringing it to an extended boil if you boil the hell out of it you'll start to hydrolyze it but let's not forget how do you make how do you make gelatin in a stock right you boil uh, bones and uh, and meat to uh, break the collagen down into gelatin, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's what you do. I mean, I've boiled, uh, you know, I, I mean, no, I don't think that's a I think extended boiling in acidic conditions, because you're boiling it just in plain water, right?
4: Yeah, just plain water.
3: Yeah. I mean, extended boiling in acidic environments will will hydrolyze the gelatin for sure. But I've boiled gelatin many times and had it still set. Or you, know, you know, I, you I, know, I maybe I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't I understand. Not me neither. Is there Thank any actual know. literature on it though? What's that? Is there any like scientific literature on it?
4: No, you know how homebrewers they often just pick things up from you know other related things like you know skimming the top off your beer because they do it with stock, you know, and uh, they just. Uh, I think just extrapolate it over, and they don 't really have any real reason to do it, and then they get told a couple of times, and then they just stick with it, whether it's you know never questioning it
3: all right, well, if any pro brewers out there listening uh, you know um, yep. send us in some information and we'll we'll see uh, thanks, want, love the show. all right thanks a lot uh let 's take a quick commercial and come back.
2: There, it's Steve Jenkins, I'm with Fairway Markets, White Leghorn, Red Wattle, Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro. Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a Fairway Butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's heritage turkey, Japanese steaks, Berkshire pork, or Navajo churro lamb chops is the righteous kind from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at heritagefoodsusa.com for more information. You have
3: to eat them to save them. Hey, we're back. Uh, so, what are we, are we going to play Jackie Molecules on the way out
2: since we're running out of time? Oh, yeah. We we can do that. That's fine.
3: Yeah. When we leave, we'll just do an outro on Jackie Molecules because sure, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. By the way.
2: <laughs> the now legendary ringtone, as I'm being told by listeners. We got so many emails this week for it. Really? Oh, yeah. It's oh, taken nice. off. It's Sweet. going viral.
3: Viral. It's better than... Better better than my uh, my ringtones, like Nastasia's. you are mean to me. Uh, but I don't even need to like play my phone because it's just my voice saying you're mean to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Caleb Sexton sent us in some of these Super Jack. You can have some of these too. Um, super High Bricks Apricots, this new variety I think out of California. And uh, he dehydrates them, but they start out at like 20-something bricks, which is like super high sugar. Uh, and so you notice how Stas is eating. I notice how super sweet they are at at, at the end. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I think uh, what we should do before you dehydrate them to turn them into real flavor bombs is just throw a little more acid into it. What do you think, Stas?
2: Don't they just dehydrate on their own out there in California now?
3: Oh, you're from there. You tell me.
1: Because of the, I'm saying, like, no water?
3: Isn't it easier for them to, like... No, I mean, you know? acid, not for, I mean, uh, I mean, acid you're just... You're put lime on them? Well, not lime necessarily. I'd have to look up whatever the acid base of apricot is, but uh, I'm saying,
1: no, I like, like in other acid. words, the
3: sweetness is so high that it could stand more acidity to back it up. No, I like it like this. But I'm saying before it dehydrates, cut it, sprinkle up the acid, like kind of go into it, so you get the level exactly. You're know saying you wouldn't want a little more acid? No, you like it just like this. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And what do you think about these as opposed to blenems? See, I like blenems because they're super high acid.
1: Yeah, I like these better.
3: Yeah, Jackie should mm-hmm. come in and try one while we're doing this. Yeah, um, no, I can't talk because I'm eating apricot. Pass it in. Pass it in. Um, by the way, Jack, do you think sharp and hot should be said with like a Boston-style accent? I think it should. Sharp, hot, sharp, Yes. Hot. Yeah. Anyway. Um Uh, Ethan uh, Kushner uh, Kushner wrote in uh, a while ago about lentil tofu. I think I talked about it. So if I forgot to talk about lentil – because we had so many weeks where I I would start answering things and then stopped. If I've talked – if I've not talked about lentil tofu and the possibilities, please uh, just – you know, whatever, email us back and, and let us know. And uh, we'll do it. The same about like Alex from Toronto wrote in about carrots. I think I talked about that too, about like uh stiffening carrots and whether that's a known reaction in other vegetables. I think I talked about it, but it's hard to know because I can't tell. Uh Elliot Papineau wrote in and he wants to say, Can Dave talk about the awesomeness of French Penny? French penny. You like that stuff, Saz?
1: What is it again? That's
3: the, that's the okay, so you know how like you're not a marzipan fan, right? Mm-mm. But like, if you add eggs to it and other stuff to stiffen it a little bit, and they make it pipeable, that's the stuff that's like inside of a king cake. You ever eat king cakes? No. You know what a king cake is, though. Unlike uh, like Mardi Gras, oh, like, yeah. right before mm-hmm. the king cake is like got the sugar with the colors, yeah. and inside of it is that kind of like like more creamy almond crap that's not uh, marzipan. You like that stuff? I guess so. I love that stuff. I want what I want to do is start making things like that because like, what, what his question it came in. I'm like, damn. You know what? Like we have the capability to grind this stuff down, we should do that with. Uh, by the way, Caleb Stas is loving your mm-hmm. apricots. He's sitting here munchicating on them. Um, is it, we should do that with pecans? Wouldn't that be good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That should be that'd be mm-hmm. good stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Elliot, I don't have too much to say because I don't make it that much myself. I think it's a good product, but I will. Uh, now you've got me uh, stoked on the idea of uh, of of uh, marzipan. By the way, did we ever talk about the agar noodles? Because I, I know there was an agar noodle question, but I, but I didn't uh, get to it. So whoever wrote in the agar noodle question, just write back to me and I'll see. Okay. Um, hey, Cooking Issues team, I have a hydrocolloid question. My death row meal is spaghetti with chopped garden tomatoes. Do You, you hate tomatoes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Someone tweeted me in uh, today and said, can you eat the blossoms of uh, the tomato plant? And I was like, it might have too much of the tomatoine, which is, you know, whatever the alkaloid that's related to like solanine or whatever, the solanaceae style, uh, uh, like alkaloid that's in tomato plants, which is why you're not supposed to eat a boat ton of the green tomato stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway. Why would you want to eat that? Well, that's my point. I was like, frowny face, every tomato blossom you rip off is one less tomato you get. Like who has that many tomatoes in their life? Not me. Not me. How are your tomatoes growing?
1: Good. They're all green right now.
3: Yeah? Nice. Strong. Anyway, uh, my death row meal is spaghetti with chopped garden tomatoes, basil, garlic, oil, and salt. I make this often in the summertime when perfect tomatoes are available. Part of the process involves chopping and salting the raw tomatoes to draw out moisture that would otherwise water down the pasta. What do you think about watering down the pasta sauce? I'm good. Hate? (laughs) Yes. Hate. Hate. Uh, watering down the pasta. The liquid drawn out of the tomatoes is quite tasty, and I hate uh, that it is no longer part of the sauce. I figured if I could thicken uh, thicken it, it would adhere to the spaghetti and increase deliciousness. Uh, my hydrocolloid knowledge is essentially zero, but I tried xanthan, and that's what I had. It thickened the tomato water nicely and all me- also made me want to puke when I ate it because it was so snotty. That's a technical term, a snotty. Yeah, I would not use xanthan. Can you imagine, like, a xanthan no. pasta? No. is making her I'm about to puke face with the, with the xanthan pasta. Um, I also don't want to heat-slash-reduce the water to avoid losing the raw tomato flavor. So what would you recommend, uh, and in what percentage, to thicken the tomato water so it can be added back to the chopped tomatoes on the pasta? Thanks. Dreaming of summer meals with my favorite pasta. Soon with more tastiness. Uh, Jason. I think you're kind of in, like, you're, you're hoeing a tough road here, uh, Jason. <coughs> because uh, to thicken the stuff appreciably, uh, you're going to have to add a, 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 boat, a boat ton of stuff. I would use... Um, I would use pre-gelatinized, agglomerated starch is what I would use. And then you, you're basically thickening thickening it the way that cooking that with, with a starch. Uh, so I would use uh, like ultra-spurse. You want to get a spurse and not a tex. Um, the reason I would use starch is because you need to use relatively large percentages of, uh, of starch, which means that it is – it will diminish the flavor somewhat, but it's also super easy to dose in and dose out. You're not going to go way over. And if you use a, a – it takes a couple of minutes. You don't want to add it all right away because it takes a couple of minutes to fully hydrate. But it's really easy to use in kind of cook's measurements, like just like sprinkling a pinch in and getting it to do what you want. Whereas most other hydrocolloids, if you're going to use like a, you know, guar or an LBG, I think you're not going to get – we're used to starch thickened sauces, and so I think it's going to be – I think that might be the way to go in this situation, but still, I don't know if you're going to have as good a result as you would get out of, for instance, pulling the pasta a couple minutes earlier, doing uh, or you know a couple seconds earlier, doing a very quick drain and then immediately tossing it with the tomato juice that comes out, because that tomato juice, remember, you salted it; it's salty too, right? So that's going to increase the salt level of your of your pasta. But if you just leave everything else out, like you know the tomatoes that you have out, toss the pasta uh, in the um, um, in the straight tomato water, uh, like and just pull it a couple of seconds earlier. I think it'll absorb a good. Wouldn't you think it would absorb a good bit of that stuff? Mm-hmm. And so I think if you pull like, uh, like you know, thirty. I don't know well, how long does spaghetti cook. Eight or seven. Seven.
1: Seven
3: yeah for you and mark it's like it cooks for like two minutes yeah but anyway pull it like a good like i would say maybe like 30 seconds uh earlier than you normally would then uh make sure that you uh toss the stuff in but keep it hot like i would put the bowl back something that i uh will do is i'll cook my uh pasta in uh in a colander inside of my pot right do you do that stas That way I can just pull the colander out. No, I don't have that. Anyway, I pull the colander out. You do the the fast drain. Then you put it into the bowl. And if you keep the bowl warm like over the water that's been boiling it makes a starchy mess but um, keeping it warmer as you're tossing in the, uh, the tomato water will help it absorb more as opposed to when it but, but let it flash off. If you cover it, it'll keep warm and absorb more but it also won't flash off moisture and their whole goal here is to add more liquid while it's flashing off moisture. Yes, does. Mm-hmm. Then add your tomatoes afterwards and go. Uh, the super baller technique and this is going to be have to be the last thing I say. I still have to get to uh, I still have to get to Stephen from uh Moscow on uh, on ovens and you know he's trying to get the Viziga, the uh the thing and uh Alex from Sam uh, is too late he already visited San Francisco but McGee will be here so we can talk about it and we'll finally get to Michael and his blown uh ziplock bags but the most baller technique would be to go drop a cool 10 grand on a really nice rotovap setup and just rotovap that tomato stuff down so that you get real hyper concentrated tomato uh you know like you can make almost like a puree out of it uh uh, in a rotavap without ever heating it. Uh, cook the pasta and toss that in. It'll be the most tomatoey pasta ever. Cooking issues. Huh?
2: Well, I'm going to play this Jackie Molecules on the way out. <laughs> Jackie Molecules.
4: Thanks for listening.
0: Tell your mama
1: you ain't coming home again. You got to tell your papa